On this episode, we head to Costa Rica, where Los Ticos have a huge playoff coming up in Qatar. This is the World of CONCACAF podcast. Welcome to the World of CONCACAF podcast. I'm Eric Schmitz. And I'm Donald Wine. And unfortunately, we're Sam's Jonathan today. Uh, he had some stuff come up, but we want to make sure that you get the hot CONCACAF content that you've been craving. Uh, we know it's been a couple weeks since we've put something out, and we got to get back to our roots. We got to start talking these CONCACAF countries. Uh, so we're going to do a laser focus episode. Donald, are you excited to really deep dive into Costa Rica. Look, this is our bread and butter. This is, you know, over the course of, of any team, you know, th- they have to get back to the, the basics, the fundamentals. We're playing two-way hockey. This is the playoffs. <laughs> our two-way hockey is a laser focus. And so we're ready to do it. Okay. Okay. Um, first off, want to salute all of our Patreon subscribers. Make sure you subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcacaf, P-O-D-C-A-C-A-F. Um, become a patron, support the podcast. Really appreciate everyone who is contributing, uh, making us do all this fun stuff. Yes, merch is coming. Merch will be available soon. Be serious. It is be serious. We're working on it. We're not gonna we're not gonna announce anything until we have something to announce. So just relax. But um Let's let's focus on do our laser focus on uh, Costa Rica. Um, got an exciting interview coming up later on with Eddie from CRC Football. Um, but let's just jump right into it. Uh, this week's Concacaf laser focus is Costa Rica. Donald, tell me about Costa Rica. Yeah, let's start with the country's history. And like most countries in North America, it was inhabited by indigenous people long before it was quote-unquote discovered. And in this case, that the, that quote-unquote discovery was by none other than Christopher Columbus, Asshole. who found it in... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, who found it in 1502. Uh, obviously, after that, the Spanish came to rule the country. That was more later in the 16th century. And they ruled it until 1847, where through a lot of different things, a lot of Central America at that point was starting to declare independence and or at least fight for their independence. And Costa Rica was able to declare its independence at that point. I say 1847, that's an important date because to this day, they have been a democratic country and Costa Rica is Latin America's longest running democracy, which is pretty cool. Um, their capital and largest city is San Jose, a little over 2 million people in the metropolitan area for there. Uh, Obviously, the most dominant language there is Spanish, but there's some things you need to know about the languages in Costa Rica. Right now, there are six local indigenous languages that are still spoken today, which is remarkably rare when it comes to any of these countries that have been colonized by Europeans over the course of time. Uh, Right now, again, they have six local indigenous languages, Meleku, Kabekar, Bribri, Guna, Guaymi, and Bugler. And I know I might have mispronounced those and I apologize. But here's the other thing about Costa Rica that you may not know. What? Costa Rica has the largest French speaking community in Central America, which I, I thought that would be, you know, maybe like Haiti or something like that. I, mean, you know, I know Haiti's yeah. not in Central America, but I thought there'd be somewhere in the Americas that had more uh, of a French speaking community. But as a, a Central American countries, which, as you know, are predominantly Spanish for the most part. French is spoken the most in Costa Rica. This, there's a reason for this. Costa Rica, okay. until the 1900s, was a very diverse population. Americans, Germans, French, British, Lebanese, Syrian, uh, Chinese, Polish, Italians, all came to Costa Rica after the independence to start businesses there. But in 1901, the president at that time, Ascension Esquivel Ibarra, closed immigration 
to all non-white immigration. Now, I say non-white immigration for a reason. Many Costa Ricans consider themselves to be white or a white group designation that they call mestizo. So when you think about the demographics of Costa Rica, 83% of the population consider themselves either mestizo or white. And it's not white in the traditional you know, American or, or European sense. That is a designation that they use as kind of the dominant uh, race, if you will, in the country, the ones that they were trying to you know, use to get into the country when immigration was happening in the 1800s. So there's a little bit on the demographics uh, and the history of Costa Rica, but it's very fascinating that a country that you wouldn't think to be uh, anything but homogenous is very much a diverse population. Yeah, it seems that way from looking into it. Donald, I did discover, uh, do you know what Costa Rica means? Rich coast. Okay, so you do know what it means. <laughs> I speak a little Spanish. <laughs> I, I learned that. I mean, I'm saying that's something I picked up. So a little background, very typical yet atypical of like, what Central America is. Obviously, we have that French influence that we don't see so much. Um, Donald, I was there in March. You've been there before. Let's talk about Costa Rica. Uh, when were you there? Let me t- tell, tell us about your trips there um, and what you've experienced in the country. Let's, we'll, let's get into what it's like in Costa Rica. Yeah, so it's, it's great because I've been to three you know, distinct parts of the country that I think are, you know, ones that everyone should be able to see. Uh, the first is San Jose. I, I was in San Jose slash Alajuela uh, for CONCACAF Champions League when DC United played uh, Liga, uh, Liga Deportiva Alajuela down there. Uh, and their stadium is without a doubt one of the loudest experiences I've ever been a part of. And you think that, you know, have both of us haven't been in the Azteca, which is 87,000 people. Uh, being in you know stadiums all around North America, football stadiums that are really loud, you think that that would be it. This place seats like eighteen thousand people, but it's absolutely boisterous. The fans are on top of you. They love their team and they show it throughout the entire game. No quit in them. Really, really enjoyed my experience there, despite the fact that DC United ended up losing very badly. It had everything to do with with the fans in the stands willing their team to victory. That's why uh, Alhuela is so good. Um, the second time I was there, I went for a wedding. But before that, it, the, the wedding was on the coast, Papagaya, which is a great peninsula on the Pacific side. Highly recommend it. Um, but before that, we were able to spend some time in the volcano region in the center of the country, uh, which is Arenal, a beautiful lake, Lake Arenal, which is just absolutely beautiful. Uh, being able to climb the mountain, uh, climb the volcano and kind of repel off of it. Um, it's still considered active, I want to say, but it's it hasn't been uh, active in you know several thousands of years or something like that, but um, it's a great, great region, lots of great food there um, and a beautiful resort that we were at that basically the hot tubs that they have there are heated thermally by the, by the volcano. Uh, so like Jeez. basically the higher you go up, the hotter the hot tub is because all of the, you know, kind of trickles down the mountain. And as it does, it gets cooler. So that one was really fun to be a part of. But that week was just kind of a relaxing week that led to a, a wedding, which was a lot of fun. So I uh, highly recommend Costa Rica for everybody to go to. It's just, a, it, I mean, three distinct areas, but just really just everyone there, the people there are all great. And the food is great, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was down in San Jose for the U.S.-Costa Rica game back in March. Um, it is interesting that they tell you you're flying into San Jose and the airport's basically in Alajuela. Um, my Uber driver was very specific about, oh, yes, we're in Alajuela. We're not in San Jose right now. I'm like, okay, got it. Also, interesting fact about Costa Rica right now, Uber is illegal there, but it works. So apparently they've got um, a Chinese app that is supposed to be like the rideshare app that everyone uses, like that's government approved. Government has not approved Uber, but the thing works. So when we landed in at the airport, 
I went and booked a ride. Did not know anything about this. It's pretty much the thing where you travel to another country and you open up the words like, does this work or no? And everything popped mm-hmm. up. It's like, okay, we, like out over here. We're, we're good. And they kept canceling my ride on me. And it's like trying to figure out where we're supposed to go. Turns out they kept canceling your ride because if they get caught picking up for Uber at the airport, they get like a ticket for it. So like if they don't get you like immediately, they're just going to be like, nah, next time around. Mm -hmm. And um, that was interesting. So you're basically they tell you to sit in the front seat. So it looks like you're like a relative or something like that. Like, oh, it's the old lift. It's the old lift mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Lyft did that where they're like, oh, we're not an Uber. We're, it's like your friend picking you up from the airport and you're supposed to fist bump them when you got into the ride. And that was their way of saying, no, no, we're not a rideshare company. We're just, it's just too, you know, you know, it's just me picking up my friend at the airport. No big deal. We're just friends. We're just buddies, right? Jim. Yeah. Cool, Jim. <laughs> um, and now they're a rideshare company like everybody else. Yeah. So now when you were in San Jose, did you stay like downtown San Jose or you on the outskirts? When I was there, we stayed like kind of out on the outskirts, like kind of closer towards the airport. Yeah. So we actually stayed right across the street from the airport. And um, a, a, one of my friends that I went with here in D.C. had uh, one of our friends, her family had a house literally okay. right. Uh, basically, if you. And I don't know if you, you saw like much of like the area around the airport, but you kind of oh, yeah, yeah. there's like a loop that goes around the airport, right? Yeah. It was on the opposite side of that loop is where oh. this house was. So yeah, it was it was great because you know it's about a five minute drive outside of the airport, but I mean across the street is still a runway for the airport. So it was cool. It's a really nice house. Um, and, and the fact that we were able to stay there for free um was amazing. The other places that I stayed. Um, were resorts um, in, in Arenal and at Papagayo. But in San Jose, um, can't say any. I, I think the house is gone now. They sold it. Uh, so unfortunately, that is not uh, available for us anymore. But yeah, it was it was really cool because we were able to kind of live like Costa Ricans live in, in a house. Yeah, you got the authentic experience. Yes, absolutely. Authentic yeah. food too. <laughs> yeah. We were at uh, Sheridan, like out in the outskirts of town, which also had a casino. And the casino, first of all, casino had a sports book. So it was great. I was able to place bets. Did not go great with the bets that I placed, but it was cool. Like you had like a legit sports book, couldn't bet on anything. It's like you had all the apps working. It was great. Also interesting about the Costa Rica casino. Sat down this table. It was almost like a blackjack table, but it had multiple games going on at once with the same cards. Really confusing, but I was able to figure out that I was able to play like actual blackjack there. The weird things was they had chips based on the Costa Rica money, the cologne, and they also had chips based on US dollars. So at the same table, you're playing in two, you could play in different currencies, which was Ooh. wild. Like obviously dealer had a bunch of chips to go out. Other crazy thing, they let you double twice on a hand. Like, oh, and blackjack, you could double yeah. down twice. Yeah. So, you know, you're you double off like a soft 15 or whatever. A dealer's showing a bus card. You double a soft 15. You take cards. Like, you want to double again? Like, <laughs> like what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, sure. I'll, nah, I, would, cool. I would love to do that. Um, yeah. I, I love the casinos in some of these countries. Just very, very unique. Um, I was going to say the, uh, the, the, game you said there's a bunch of cards you know you, you know if there's multiple card games going on at the same time you know the drill just like when you're dizzy you focus on the middle that's what <laughs> oh you yeah, yeah 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 no well, there's like some rummy game it, it was weird and of course i don't speak enough spanish to understand anything that's going on around me um yeah um so the casinos are interesting also interesting is the food what food what do you remember eating there that was like oh this is this is what i'm gonna remember costa rica by yeah so there's a there's a few things you know i think first of all you got to talk about the national dish uh which is gallo pinto it's kind of like a mixture of rice and beans and sauteed vegetables kind of cooked together um it's served mostly for breakfast but i i I don't know if you had at the hotel um but it's something that you can have throughout the day but it's really served around breakfast time so that was the the main dish 
Um, Puzzle is a great one. It's, it's like a Costa Rican stew um, made from pork and a bunch of other stuff in there. Um, they're uh, patacones, which is kind of like Costa Rican tostones, which are kind of smashed uh, plantains that are fried. And the, But what they do is instead of just like eating them or putting hot sauce on them, they use it kind of like as a as a tortilla um, to put some stuff on there. Um, and then finally, I think the one thing that's interesting is their empanadas were pretty good. I mean, they're not empanadas that, you know, if you think about like the great empanadas of Latin and Latin America, um, Costa Rica is not one that comes up often, but they were pretty good. I mean, I, I can't comment on food. One, you know, our friend Vish was who I traveled with for this uh, mm-hmm. trip. Asshole got me sick. So like I was not in <laughs> position to be trying things but i did have some very good local food at a local kfc fantastic you know the central american kfc it's unmistakable you can't you can't say anything bad about it um the one interesting thing i did have is in downtown san jose there's like a central market highly recommend like the vibes are just immense in downtown san jose um the central market old old building like every kind of shop that you could possibly imagine but like you walk in it's like yes this is the type of place i wanted to be there was a very famous like ice cream shop that they had there that we sampled some of the ice cream there it was like a cinnamon flavored is very very unique i've i was okay with it um but very very unique uh so that's something definitely i would recommend if you go is to try that um but yeah San Jose is a cool ass city. Um, there's the central market. We walked downtown through the park over to the stadium for the game. Just really cool. I did see um, the cops roll up on some street vendors. Got to see that in action. Um, it was. Did you get crazy. to sample some of the local babitas? Uh, I had I had mas babitas. Um, actually I didn't have too many. As I said, I was sick. So like, I didn't really try. Um, I didn't really drink too much. Um, but yeah, that was solid. Uh, Yeah. So San Jose is cool, but we're here to talk about the soccer and I talk about going to the stadium. I went to the qualifier there. We kind of know what happened to this point, but let's kind of focus in on the soccer. So soccer in Costa Rica, they've got, as with many of these countries, they've got like a good league system. Uh, the men's side, there's three divisions. On the women's side, there's a main division now. That game is growing. Um, right now, we're just hitting the end of the Primera Divisions season. Uh, we'll actually talk about that more coming up in our Let's Get a Bucket, bucket segment um let you know where things are at with that uh, but they have promotion relegation through the three leagues the top teams that you know you know Alejandro you know Saprisa um you probably heard of Herediano um they've got the big teams um but the game is continuing to grow there as uh finances grow as well uh the federation actually I mean, if you look at it right now and just over the course of history, uh, it's really right now in CONCACAF, you've got your top three, you've got your USA, Mexico, Canada. Costa Rica has pretty much been the, that third or fourth team for the last 20 years. They are the class of Central America when it comes to soccer. Um, they've got a nice, classy stadium for Central America. Uh, back in 2011, they opened the Estadio Nacional de Costa Rica. Um, it's right in downtown San Jose, right in La Sabana, the park right downtown. Uh, for cost $100 million, funded, built, expensed by the Chinese government. They built this very nice stadium right in downtown San Jose as like a gift to the Costa Rican government. The stadium, it looks beautiful, great place to watch a game you feel kind of far away from the field because there, there's a track around it. It's, it is the national stadium, but it is very interesting because it almost feels like a bare bones stadium. Like there's not like massive concession stands or anything like that. It's very like 
oh, here's this nice new stadium with nothing in it. They got a, st- a scoreboard in the one end. It was HD in 2011. It probably hasn't been touched since. <laughs> um, but it's a great place to watch a game right downtown, skyline around you, hills in the background. It's it's on the list of places you need to see a game. Um, it used to be that the national teams would play at some of like the club stadiums around Costa Rica, uh, Saprissa being a famous one. But really, since the Stadio Nacional came in, um, that's been their home. That will be the home of the 2022 FIFA U20 Women's World Cup, which is coming up this August. Uh, they were originally supposed to host in 2020 uh, with co-host with Panama, uh, but because of the pandemic, that got postponed. So they are hosting the 2022 edition this August. Um, so great for them hosting for CONCACAF. Uh, the stadium actually does host a bunch of concerts. Uh, back in March, they had two nights with Coldplay. Donald, do you know who's coming this fall? It better be Bad Bunny. <laughs> Daddy Yankee is headlining a stadium oh, yeah. now this fall. His legendary the, tour. Yeah. I mean, that's a stadium act if there, if there ever was one. Um, so, yeah, they got this nice stadium. Uh, their women's national team, as we said, they're hosting the U20 Women's World Cup coming up, but the women are actually in a pretty good spot to get a bid for the next Women's World Cup. Uh, the CONCACAF W Championships are coming up next month, or I guess in a couple months. Uh, they are in Group B with Canada, Panama, and Trinidad and Tobago. Again, that CONCACAF W Championship, you finish top two, you're in for the World Cup. If you finish third, you're going to a playoff. Very, very reasonable that Costa Rica will be able to get back to the Women's World Cup. They last made it in 2015, uh, where they made the group stage and did not advance out of the group as Canada hosted. Um, Their women's team still has not made an Olympic Games, but they can technically qualify through this tournament for that. Um, And right now, their FIFA ranking is... 36 6th 36th um which i did find interesting they're the four CONCACAF teams are like the top four as i mentioned earlier costa rica has got to be one of them their men are ranked 31 the women are ranked 36 like those are that's a good program that you've got going there um so that's the women's side down do you want to touch on the men's side before we get to our interview yeah, of course. Uh, so you mentioned that they're uh, 31st in the world right now, but they've been as ranked as high as 13th. That was in March 2015. Um, you know, Costa Rica has a really, you know, great history. And you talked a little bit about just their their pedigree. And it, you say, you know, for the last 25 years or so, they've been, you know, one of the top, you know, few programs in CONCACAF. But for the men's side, They've been overall, if you average it out, they've been the third best team in CONCACAF. And it, it's not close uh, between three and four over the last 25, 30 years. Uh, they, the one thing about them is that they've won a lot in Central America. They're obviously the most dominant team in Central America. They have eight Copa Central Americana titles, seven CCCF championships, which was the precursor to the Central Americana They've been to Copa America uh, in South America. They've made the quarterfinals twice in 2001 and 2004. They've won three Gold Cup slash CONCACAF championship titles, 1963, which was the very first CONCACAF championship. They also won in 1969 and 1989. But their crown jewel is 2014, where they advanced to the quarterfinals of the FIFA World Cup in Brazil. Uh, knocking out some great teams along the way. They were in a group with Italy and Uruguay and qualified out of that group and then were able to ride Kaylor Navas, uh, arguably be the best goalkeeper in the history of CONCACAF and one of the best that have ever played on this planet. Uh, he was just hot and ri- and he rode, he took that team to the quarterfinals basically uh, just with his defense and a stellar play. So uh, I think when it comes to Central, uh, to Costa Rica, Right now, even though they're in this playoff coming up, they have uh, 
they have a, a barrier where they feel like they are one of the top teams in CONCACAF. And over the course of time, they have proven that. And I think now they are trying to maintain that as other teams like Canada start to try and improve themselves to get into that top or top echelon of the, of the whole subregion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as we said, it is a big summer for Costa Rica. They've got the World Cup playoff against New Zealand coming up in Qatar. Um, we've given you some insight into what soccer's like in Costa Rica, but I think it's important for us to talk to someone who knows more than us. And we're going to do that next. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to get a bucket uh, with our friend Eddie from CRC Football and talk about Los Ticos. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, we've got a very special guest on the podcast today uh, for our Let's Get a Bucket, bucket segment. Um, you may know him on Twitter as at CRC Football. Um, we are very grateful to be joined by Eddie, who runs the CRC Football account and is an expert in all things Costa Rica soccer. Um, Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Now, there's a lot going on, especially in Costa Rica right now, so we definitely want to get to that um, right off the bat. Uh, the domestic season is just wrapping up in Costa Rica. Uh, what's the status? What's going on in that top division right now? So it, it has been a crazy season overall because what the league has done in unison with the national team is for every World Cup qualifying window, they would take about a two-week pause even before the window started. So that really – dipped into the, the calendar and the fixtures themselves and it kind of backlogged everything. So after this last window in March or going, kind of going into April where everything was pretty much done, basically half the season still needed to be played. So the league has been going on about every three days for about 11, 11 match days since then. So it's, it's been pretty backed up and today was essentially the last day for it. Everybody played the 22nd fixture with the exception of, which is the most important part, is Saprissa and Grecia, who were supposed to play in Grecia, but a thunderstorm kind of stopped the game in the 40th minute. If Saprissa wins, they're in, and they finish fourth, and they would play their biggest rival in, in Costa Rica, Alajuela, and it would set up a semifinal for the Clásico Nacional, which is pretty big in Costa Rica. And the only reason why Saprissa controls their own destiny, and this is what I love about Costa Rica, is because San Carlos, who right now is holding the fourth spot, having won today, they would also own basically a goal differential tiebreaker, but they played Alajuela way back in the season, and they had a U23 manager who got sent off, but was also on the bench for the first division game, but he was sent off, so he shouldn't have been there. So because of administrative reasons, that game turned into a forfeit that they lost points on, went to Alajuela, and they lost all tiebreakers. So now Saprissa control their own destiny because of this kind of mess around. So it's just the kind of stuff that, like I said, it's CONCACAF. It's yeah. the first division in Costa Rica. It's wild. But ultimately, one of the biggest names in Costa Rica still control their own destiny. They know that they need to win tomorrow. A draw is not good enough. If they draw, they're out, which would be a huge, mis like, huge letdown for them. So they know that they need three points tomorrow. So tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time, they'll finish the, the last 60 minutes of the game, and we'll find out how things shake out in the top four. Wow. Now, everyone who follows CONCACAF club soccer, the Champions League, typically you see the same names come up. Who are the historic big teams in Costa Rica? And is there – how would you define, like, the gap between them and the rest of the top division? Yeah, that's kind of the, the sad part about the league structure itself. So everybody knows Saprissa. That's that's the biggest name in all of Central America, not even just in Costa Rica. They have the most titles for a Central American country. They're the ones that finished third in a, in a FIFA a Club World Cup, losing to Liverpool in the semifinal. That's kind of like the historic one run. Their biggest rival in Costa Rica is Alajuelense, and that's where Brian Reese comes from. That's where some of the other big names 
in the region come from. And then basically from there, it's perceived that the drop-off is significant. The third team in the country is Herediano. However, in terms of results, in terms of championships and titles, Heredia is probably the biggest team in Costa Rica in the last decade. They've gone on a serious run where now they're about to close Alajuela in terms of the amount of overall titles won, where Alajuela is on 30 and Heredia is on 29. And, and they've, they've really done a lot in the last decade to kind of catch up to them. And honestly, I kind of favor them to, to kind of repeat as champions for this season as well. So I, it's it's in terms of what people perceive, those are the two biggest names. But at Edia on the field themselves, they've done a really good job of representing themselves. From there, that's really where the drop-off comes into play. So Cartago, Cartaginés is perceived to be one of the biggest names. They haven't won a title since World War II. Pérez Celedón is another big region in, in Costa Rica. They, they won one title on kind of a fluky run in 2017, but other than that, it's been nothing else. And then there's really been a lot of these random teams that have popped up from other teams that get contracted and new teams come in. You get a San Carlos, you get a Guadalupe, you get a Sporting, where they have like no history, but they're kind of just like administrative write-offs that get turned into new clubs. And they start to compete a little bit in the first division, but it's still not enough to really override what is a true you know, stranglehold from Saprissa and Alajuela and now Heredia. Those are like the big three. And I still think the rest of the league are, are significant ways away from reaching that. A lot of that has to do kind of like with the, the TV money. They got like cable deals now with like Futi and, and Digo Sports, which has changed things a little bit, but it's still, it's still so recent that it hasn't had any impact yet that it's still those big clubs that are running Costa Rica. Eddie, I, I've had a chance to go to a match, a Champions League match, CONCACAF Champions League, uh, when my team uh, played down at Alajuela. And being in that stadium, which, as you know, is just a small tin box, but honestly, it was one of the loudest atmospheres I've ever been a part of in any, in any region. Talk to us about what the atmosphere is like at these games, because I, I can barely describe what it is, but you just feel that passion. Uh, at least I did. What is it like every single week in this league? Yeah, every single week is difficult, right? So in terms of, you know, if Alajuela is playing Chicaral, you're not going to get the same environment that you're going to get when they're playing Cartaginés, Heredia, and, and Saprissa, something like that, right? It's, it, it needs to be a moment. Look, I'm a tico, we're fickle people in, in general. We're, we're very hit or miss. If, if something is kind of the flavor of the month, we'll, we'll go all in a little bit. But in terms of like the real diehard, it's very difficult to see people kind of go all in. Like I was in Costa Rica for this last World Cup qualifying window and I stayed to watch a lot of the league games because that's what I really wanted to do. And, you know, I went to a Wednesday night game between Saprissa and Grecia. And for me as a fanatic, like I love those matchups, but La Cueva overall, pretty empty. You know, think about it. Like the jokes that the Red Bulls get, that's everyday living if it's not a big game in Costa Rica, right? So it's not, it's not something where, like, the passion is there, but it's, you're not going to see it in the stadiums every day. And that kind of goes back to the fickleness that I talked about. But when we were previewing basically the USA-Costa Rica game that ultimately meant nothing and had, had, like, a little bit of a glorified friendly to it, a lot of the things that I was getting from some of the U.S. people that were covering, like uh, – I was on with, uh, I'm going to name drop here, but like Brian Dunseth and Tony Miola, I was on their show on Sirius XM. And it was kind of this sense where, well, you know what? We should be able to win this game because it really doesn't mean anything. You guys, you guys don't care. And it's like, hold on, time out. We still care. And when you play in Costa Rica, it's, it's different. You know, in Honduras, you get the grass. In El Salvador, you get the heat. In Mexico, you get the, the altitude. Yeah. But in Costa Rica... It's good playing conditions. Stadium is, is pretty modern. It, the, the grass is well kept. It's, it's well watered. It, what you're getting is really, it's just, it's an ambiance. It's, you know, the, the way the stadiums are built with the, with the exception of Estadio Nacional now, but for the most part, they're very intimate. They're very on top of you. And just we as a people, when we're there, we're all in. And yeah. it's, it's, it goes back to the Pura Vida slogan that we live by. It's just pure life. We're there. We're there for a moment. It's an ambiance. It's an environment. And it's very difficult for teams to kind of overcome. They get taken aback a little bit like, wow, like I didn't expect all this. And then you're, you're kind of playing through it and, and you just feel 
us on top of you. And I think that's what separates us from other Central American clubs where it's not something tangible that you can touch in terms of what you feel when you play in Costa Rica. It really does feel intangible. You just, it's a presence. Yeah. No, and I, I was at that match as well uh, at the end there. And yeah, you would have had no idea that that game did not mean anything. I mean, you, there were still the scenarios out there. Like it still meant something, but like. Very little though, right? In spirit, everyone, like as a U.S. fan, the talk was, oh, this is the best chance we've ever had to get a result here. And it's like. Yeah, I heard that it, a lot. Actually. After 90 minutes, there's like, yeah, there's no chance we're getting a result out of this. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the, the main thing. I, this is our best chance ever to get a result in Costa Rica. That's the main thing I heard. And I kind of felt that, too. I felt there was going to be a draw, but I remember I had to walk to the stadium. Like, my cousin parked in some weird McDonald's because <laughs> you couldn't find parking near the stadium. And then we kind of oh, yeah. had to walk towards it. But as, as we kept approaching, it just, like, the ground vibrated a little bit more. Like, my, my ears started ringing a little bit more. And then when I walked in, and they came out for the, the national anthems. And it's just, you can see everybody there. And I know people are still waiting outside. Like, my son was there. I looked at him. I told him straight up, we are not losing this game. It just, it, you can feel it. It's just this weird, this weird sense that you can just feel the crowd are going to push on the players on the field. And, and that's the main thing that I love about watching games in Costa Rica. Yeah. Now, had you been to Estadio Nacional prior to that? For, uh, yeah, I was I was there for the opener when they when they first opened the stadium in 2011. Okay. You know, it was a gift from China, so we we yeah. played China in a friendly. It finished two two, very coincidentally. <laughs> <laughs> it finished two two, and then we played Argentina a few days later. And, and Messi, this was like the the pinnacle of Messi uh, yeah. when he was really breaking through as a star. We we played Messi in, in Argentina, but Messi never played, so everybody started booing him because everybody <laughs> showed up to watch him play, and he didn't play. <laughs> But other than that, I had to get those I, guarantees, I man. For a yeah, <laughs> we paid all that money. But, you know, I, I hadn't I hadn't been for a World Cup qualifier. That's the first time I've been there for a World Cup qualifier. So just being there, it, you can definitely feel it felt different. Yeah. For so what's the difference? Uh, I'm assuming you've been to a World Cup qualifier at Saprissa when that was basically the national stadium. Describe the difference, because I know some people uh, some people kind of uh, dismiss the atmosphere at Nacional because they are so in love with and forever will be in love with the that was uh, that which was Saprisa. Like, so what's the difference between the two? Yeah, Saprisa was well more intimidating. I, I it definitely had more of a presence where it felt on top of you, like literally, like if you were sitting in the locker rooms, you're underneath. One of one of the main wards where where the the like the Bada Brava is sitting, like where the main fans are sitting, and you can feel the stadium shake on top of you. So even as you're trying to have your halftime talks or your your pregame talks, you're already feeling the stadium ambiance on top of you. You know, Nacional. The biggest difference is obviously it has the Olympic pitch around it, and that makes it feel a little bit more removed, a little bit more detached. But even that hasn't been a problem, other than Mexico. No other team has been able to come into Costa Rica and dictate how the game is going to be played. We've, we've still been able to kind of harness that. It's still not the same as Saprissa because when, when, when it, at Ricardo Saprissa, it genuinely felt like the stadium was going to fall on top of you every time we scored a goal. You, you still have that carryover into Nacional. It's just not as intimidating. But now they're at Nacional, and they st- – the way they closed World Cup qualifying was that six wins out of the last seven matches to get into that playoff spot. What is the state of the national team right now? Like, is it still Costa Rica being Costa Rica? Are they on the way up? Are they on the way down? Where do you see the state of the team? I think it's really going to depend on what happens after this World Cup. Like, look, Luis Fernando Suarez did a great job. Ultimately, he was hired because he's a proven manager that can get results. He did it with Honduras. He did it with Ecuador. He knows how to win these games. And that's that's what was missing when Gustavo Matosa stepped down because national team coaching was boring to him. And then Ronald Gonzalez stepped in. He wasn't really qualified for the job. Like the, the talent and the player pool was there, but the results weren't. And we went, I think it was 13 months without actually winning a game. And that's why Swada stepped in because he's a proven commodity that can get results. The, the biggest issue though, 
is that first the Swatters hire took a little bit too long to take place. And that's why the first six games, there was a huge drop off in terms of what you saw when we closed the window out is because he was still trying to figure out who actually belonged on the national team. After the USA loss, the 2-1 loss, where we called up Saborio, where we called up Christian Bolaños, 39-year-old, 37-year-old, People Gonzalez was getting a call up. Like, these are legacy names, and I love them, and they did a lot for the national team, but they have no business playing at this level. It's, it was time for the next generation. After that game, he basically, what he started doing in, in unison with the league, and when I talk about those long breaks that we took, he called up many camps where he would work closely with the first division and with all these players on break, he would run mini camps. He would get to kind of ingratiate himself with the player pool a little bit. And that's when he started to call on a lot of these young guys that he would identify at these camps. Houston Salas has a big performance in Mexico. Daniel Chacon uh, does a really good job against Kristen Pulisic in the last game against the U.S. Brandon Aguilera, to me, was one of the best starlets in that game against the U.S., 18 years old. Like a lot of these kids, he started to identify a little bit more after that USA game because of these mini camps. And that kind of turned the whole thing around. And, you know, the, the state right now is we're building off of that momentum because Suarez kind of, he finally has his fingers on the pulse. And we're, we're still pretty confident that we're going to be able to beat New Zealand. If you're a betting man, we should beat them. You know, 90 minutes, anything can happen. And we still like our chances. And going into the World Cup, I think the biggest thing that is – Still kind of keeping Dico's a little bit, not, not fully optimistic in our chances besides the group, is the fact that we don't know if, we, if the player pool is already locked down. If some of these players, like a Randall Leal, who's at Nashville, who's still doing a pretty good job, does he have an opportunity to get in? You know, there's Jimmy Marin, there's Saprisa. There's a lot of these players who we don't know if they're going to get an opportunity to play. Christian Gamboa in, in the Bundesliga is another big one. You know, he hasn't played a minute of World Cup qualifying, but He's a starting right back in the first division in Germany for a mid-table team. Like, he's our best right back, period. But he hasn't played yet. And he wasn't called up for this playoff because he wasn't part of the cycle. So it's just a matter of if we win this game, what's the rest of the process going to look like? Are some of these guys going to get an opportunity or is everything pretty much shut down? And if it is, you kind of worry that you have a closed-minded coach that's not open to things, which is what got us in the problem in the first place, the first six games where – we were struggling to get results because he was pretty stubborn about the process. So that's the only thing where we're trying to figure out is after we win this game, where do we go from here? Okay. Yeah. And I mean, you can talk about the rest of the pool all you want. As long as you've got Keeler Navas, you're going to have a shot to win any game. And there isn't a goalkeeper in CONCACAF you would rather have for this playoff like Keeler Navas, what does he mean to the program? And at this point in his career, like how long can he still be the rock? This is definitely the last window that we can rely on him in the way that we did. I would say if Keeler Navas was Honduran, there's not a chance in hell we're even in, even close to this playoff. We're very lucky he wasn't born in Nicaragua. Like the fact that he's Costa Rican played a huge part and our ability to get this far, because even though Suarez and a lot of people, they credit him for the results. Kayla Navas is a huge part of that. I take it back to the Canada game where we went up one, nothing. And we were pretty much in control of that game throughout the first half. Canada looked like a complete shell of themselves compared to how they looked throughout the entire World Cup qualifying process. And in the second half, Suarez decides he's going to drop into a low block and he's going to invite Canada in. And he kept inviting them in throughout the entirety of the second half. They hit the post a couple of times. Buchanan has a huge chance that Navas saves. And it's just moments like that, a way to endure that's where Navas just keeps making these saves that no other goalkeeper in this region, maybe not even another goalkeeper in the world, is going to keep us in there. And we're very fortunate to have somebody as legendary as him. To me, he's still the best player in CONCACAF now. And to me, he's the best player in CONCACAF history the most underrated player. And to, if, if, in all honesty, if he was Portuguese, if he was French, if he was Brazilian, he never would have left Madrid. Madrid never would have let him go. The fact that he's Costa Rican, I think is held against him. And the fact that he was, he's been able to accomplish, especially on the European side of club football, that he's been able to accomplish as much as he has being Costa Rican. It just, it speaks even more volumes to his greatness. 
Uh, as a Real Madrid fan, I can tell you exactly uh, what you said is correct. The fact that he was Costa Rican is the reason why he's no longer at Madrid and, and that he's not revered as one of the greatest goalkeepers that ever lived. Um, having said that, right, like if he is not injured in that first half of the game against the United States in Columbus, Costa Rica is probably in the World Cup and the United States are in this playoff, if you think about it, because we get a win off the second inning. So my question is this. You talk about this, the last window for him, uh, where you can theoretically rely on him being the guy. Who is the guy after the guy? Who is the guy lined up behind? We've seen Morera at times, but who is there someone budding that, that CONCACAF fans need to say, hey, the future of goalkeeping in Costa Rica is still bright because we have this guy. Yeah, there's two. So first of all, Moreira, I don't ever want to see him on the national team ever again. Like <laughs> the dude in the own goal, it's not even bad enough that he had the own goal against the U.S. in the second half. He's responsible for the goal that Canada had the game after that. And then Kalo Navas had to finally come back in. So I never want to see that dude again. There's two kids that I really like. And oddly enough, one is attached to Moreira at Alajuelense. So Moreira is the, the goalkeeper for Alajuela. And for the most of the season, he's been their number one goalkeeper. But he started the season on a suspension based off of his red card last season where Alajuela lost to Saprisa in the semifinal. So the season starts with this player called Miguel Aju, who was on loan at Chicaral the year before. Young kid, very acrobatic kind of a little bit more of an aesthetic goalkeeper where you think like, bro, you're just doing these saves for aesthetics. You don't really need to dive that far, but he's just a physical specimen. And I think Moreira again got sent off a couple of weeks, a couple of games ago. And Ahu had to step in for him and reminded people from the beginning of the season, like, Oh wow, this kid is really good. And I feel like that's one name. Another name is uh, Cicada. Uh, I think it's Patrick Cicada who's in Spain. It's in the third division. He was on loan at Celta Vigo, and he got called up for the first team for a little bit. Never actually got first team for Celta Vigo themselves, but played a lot with their with their B team. And that's another name, about 21 years old, that we look at as the future. I don't think there's anybody in about the 24 to 28 age range that I would want to give that helm to. So I, I, as much as I say that Kayla Navas is the guy for – for the immediate future, I still think that he has one more World Cup in him. I just don't think that we can rely on him in the fashion that we did. I would like to see him come back for 2026, assuming that we get there, and start to watch guys like Ahu, like Cicada, get the opportunity to, to kind of learn under him and eventually take that over when they're hitting 24, 25 years old. Because these kids are still very young. They're, they're still, I don't even think they can buy a beer yet, to be perfectly honest, in the United States. So. There's still a ways to go for them, but those are two names that I'm personally very excited about. Yeah. So it sounds like there are some options down the line, but let's kind of focus on the here and now. Uh, the roster just got dropped for the camp leading up to June. Um, you got the two Nations League games, and then they head to Qatar for the playoff against New Zealand. Uh, what are your thoughts on the group that they called in? Is there a guy that you're like why the hell is he still getting called in is there a guy it's like why the hell isn't this guy getting called in like what's what's the roster look like for these important games Asia Fuller is one name that I still had I still struggle with he's a right back that most of this region has been very they've had favorable matchups against him and he's proving that time in and time out he gets another call up and the, uh, the right back that's going to start over him is Ricardo Blanco from Zapriza, which oddly enough, a lot of people call him Richard White. It's this weird translation thing. But he's he's the guy that's going to basically start over him. But I look at a guy like Keisha Fuller getting a call up and Christian Gamboa being left out. And I get it. Fuller's been in the process. He's just not good enough. And and Gamboa is a guy that plays at a high level. He's been He's had to miss some of these World Cup qualifiers due to injury. He got covid when we finally thought he was going to be called in, it's just been a bad spell. So to call Fuller in and not call in Gamboa, it's not one that I agree with. You know, we, we call in this guy, Alan Guevara from, from Cartaginés. He's 30, 33 years old. He hasn't been with the national team for nine years, but he gets a call up because he's been, he's been playing relatively well, but he's playing alongside a 22 year old Ronaldo Araya, who is better than him 
plays the exact same position. Essentially, Gavada plays a little bit wider on the left inverted, so they can kind of play his double tens in this weird system that Cartago plays. But 11 years younger, has the same national team experience, which is none, as Gavada, and is a better player. And I just don't understand why somebody like him doesn't get an opportunity. So there, there's still some young guys that I would like to see get called in that haven't had their opportunity. And I think when you see what we put out against the U.S. in that last game of World Cup, World Cup qualifying, that there are some young guys that should get the opportunity because this is what we've needed this, the entire time. A lot of people, when they think of Costa Rica, they think of 2014. They think of those legacy names. But there's a lot of kids that have grown because of that generation and what they've been able to show them that it's finally their time. They're just not getting their opportunity. So I would like to see them do that. But I get it. You know, it's it's a one off. You're going to go with the guys that got you there. So I'm not going to give him too hard of a grade in terms of what he called up because I'm willing to give him this one game because he got us there. But it goes back to my point of what does the future look like? Is this what it's going to look like going into the World Cup? Because if it does, then I think you're selling yourself short. I think you're you're letting a lot of players that should be playing at this level out of the World Cup when they really should have the opportunity. Yeah. Now, huge game. Costa Rica, New Zealand, honestly, I want your honest opinion. How, how are you feeling about this? Are you confident? Are you, do you think that you think you're going to get it done? I have no reason to think we're not going to, not going to get it done, but I am scared because it's 90 minutes. It's one game. It's a neutral site. Anything can happen. You know, Kayla Navas gets pulled off at halftime with another injury. I've seen what, what happens with that, you know, you get a bad call. I think of what Italy went through against North Macedonia. It's just, there's so many things that can go wrong. So I always have that overwhelming sense of sense of nerves, but I still feel like we should have no difficulty winning this game. I don't know anything about New Zealand. I won't pretend to know anything about New Zealand, but from what a lot of the people that follow that team closely, what they've told me is that this is not the same New Zealand that most people would know from previous world cup playoffs that they're 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 not as talented as they have been they're not as good as they have been and they they struggled a little bit to even get to this point i wouldn't know that but this is what i've been told so i'm led to believe that you know philadelphia union fans kind of tricked me when i was doing my ccl previews with them so i i could be i could be played a fool here but i just tend to think that we have the talent we have the player pool we have the experience we have players that have been here and I just think we have the right momentum going into this game that we should win this game. The biggest fear that I have is that we go up one nothing, and Suarez goes to his typical tactics where that's enough. Everybody back off, drop into a shell, and then we invite New Zealand in. And I think that's when you invite more trouble than you should. I'd like for once to be able to win a game comfortably in the 60th minute where I feel like done and dusted. I haven't had that yet. So I'm, that's the only thing that scares me, to be perfectly honest. Uh, following up on that, you know, New Zealand, they had to get to this playoff by winning uh, the Oceania uh, tournament, which took place in Doha. Um, also, it, just the fact that it's there, the fact that it's in the summertime, which the reason why we don't have a World Cup in the summer is because they said Qatar is supposed to be too hot, but I digress. Um, but you're playing in those elements and you're playing a team who, in theory, is more used to it than you are because they played their entire qualifying tournament in that space does that give you any more pause or is this something where you say it doesn't matter Costa Rica should beat them it gives me pause but I'm maybe I'm more pessimistic than I need to be I just I don't want to take anything for granted you know 20 2010 hurt man uh, I'm not gonna lie Bornstein like I, I still carry those scars like I I still feel that we should win it and when you look at it on paper there's no reason why we shouldn't, but games aren't played on paper. They played in television. So, you know, there's, there's a, a myriad of reasons why we don't end up winning this game. And I still feel like if, if I had to go on DraftKings tomorrow, if once they open it up, whatever odds they give me, I'm going to take it. But it, there's still little things like you never know, man. There's, that's, that's what, but that's what I love about this game is that you honestly, you, you can preview it perfectly. You can bring down the tactics as perfectly as you want. There are so many things that can just completely change the nature of a game. So I don't want to say I don't want to sound overconfident or cocky. We should win. I will say that. And I do think we will. I'm just not going to go as far as saying that we are. 
You know what I mean? Well, we didn't want to bring up Jonathan Bornstein, but you brought him <laughs> up, so leaving leave that on you. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. Now, your Twitter account, what what kind of convinced you to like be like the voice of Costa Rican soccer? Like, what what's your kind of motivation for uh, all the coverage you've been doing? So I used to work as a an Opta analyst in the MLS digital offices back when Opta and MLS had a really good uh, partnership together. It, they were different companies, but we operated mainly in the MLS digital offices, and then we had our own little office, uh, another place in Manhattan. But I worked very closely with MLS and, and do analysis for Liga Mekis, and I followed those leagues very closely. And I also wrote for Bleach Report for a little bit. I covered MLS. I covered Liga Mekis. So those were the two leagues that I, I knew a lot about based off of work. And, you know, then, you know, Opta ended up sending our work to like, I think it was Uruguay or Portugal. I forgot. So I was out of a job. But I, I, there was a lot that I learned in becoming a senior analyst for Opta and just in terms of how we analyze games and, and the data that we collected. And then on top of that, I was a coach. So I kind of started to merge into a little bit. And I started realizing more and more as we approached the 2018 World Cup qualifying cycle that a lot of the narratives about Costa Rica were based off of 2014. And there were things that I was noticing that weren't being brought up. And it started to bother me a little bit that a lot of the people that were talking about Costa Rica, they were holding on to narrative based conversations as opposed to what was actually happening. So I just wanted to start the conversation little by little. And then the more passionate I grew about it, the more, I guess, kind of in tune I became. So now to the point where I'm just obsessed with it, where I follow every second of the domestic league. I analyze every player. I grade them. I, I give them star ratings. I've been in touch with, you know, different MLS coaches when they ask me about, you know, different players that they're scouting, that they're playing against. I've may or may not have helped an MLS coach beat a team in Costa Rica in champions league based off of some of the analysis that I've given them. And it's just like little by little, it's, it's become kind of like a part-time side hustle hobby thing into just a full-blown passion and I kind of wanted to merge everything that I've done in my experience with Opta and Bleach Report and how I covered different leagues and just give a voice to Costa Rica because this was this is my national team this is this is my country this is my football and I felt like we were very well underrepresented and if we want to be a team that's really going to push and conquer CAF and you know Mexico and U.S. and all these big countries know about us there needs to be somebody that really needs to tell people what's going on. And I didn't feel like we were being represented well enough. So I wanted to step in and be that voice. So it took a lot of time. You know, it took a lot of patience, a lot of growing, a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes. But ultimately, CRC football was birthed out of me being frustrated by, by hearing other people talk about Costa Rica. Well, you're doing a great job with it. Uh, again, if you're listening, you got to be following at CRC football, F-U-T-B-O-L on Twitter. Um, I, you have an Instagram too. I saw. Um, yeah. So make sure you follow him on Instagram as well. Uh, Eddie, really appreciate you taking the time and talking to us today. Anytime you guys want to have me, happy to be here. I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> so can Good. we? We love it. Yeah, we will be taking you up on that. Um, so thanks for joining us. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then uh, we'll be back with more on uh, the World of Concrete. want to thank eddie for coming on uh that was a great interview i agree and and honestly there was something that he said at the end um he basically said this frustration can be the source for motivation like that's eddie like he didn't like yeah. the coverage on costa rican football so he took matters into his own hands that's kind of how this started like we, oh, yeah we didn't feel like you know people were really learning much about the you know the Concacaf teams outside of the big you know couple teams so we decided to have this podcast. He took his frustration and turned it into motivation to have his account. And he's doing it quite well. So uh, I, first of all, there needs to be more Eddie's in CONCACAF, um, yeah. straight up. And, but also just appreciate his insight uh, into just the state of Costa Rican football and just how, 
like learning a little bit more about some of these teams. Yeah. Listen, nobody want to talk about all the dumb shit that happens in CONCACAF. We had to step up and bring that to the people. You know, we, we got to put it on wax, you know? The streets wanted it. We gave it to them. <laughs> yeah. So because we're here to talk about dumb shit in CONCACAF, it's time for real team or fake team. Uh, it's a great segue there. Um, it's unfortunately, again, Jonathan's not with us. So it's mono a mono. Donald, we, we've had some issues with the rotation. So Donald is up again. And uh, I've got six teams from Costa Rica. Donald's got to tell me if they're real or fake. I do want to say, Donald, the bar is very low for you right now. Because mm-hmm. you got one last week. You're coming off. Of I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not saying the thing right now. I'm just gonna. Okay. Okay. Gonna see what happens. Okay. <laughs> I learned. I learned from last time. All right. So we got six teams, and Donald. The game's on. All right. First team. Bajo los Molinos. Bajo what? Los Molinos. fake it's a real team they're in the third division linafa um they're based out of heredia uh, interesting so they're, they're they're a real team i was thinking of brian molino and i was like that gotta be fake you, you never know <laughs> listen we, we're getting we're gonna get deeper here just bear mm-hmm. with me here all right ad valencia fake there's a real team. They use Jeez. Valencia's logo. Also third division. <laughs> they're, they're out of Cartago. Oh, man. All right. Deportivo La Sabana. How do you spell Sabana? S-A-B-A-N-A. Uh, we'll go real team. Is that fake? They're fake. La Savana. La Savana is the park in the middle of San Jose that the stadium's in. It means Savannah. Um, oh. Deportivo obviously means, you know. Sport. Honestly, I said it was fake because I didn't think you knew what that word meant. <laughs> I mean, I got Google. <laughs> I have Google. <laughs> so, Donald, you're, you're 0 for 3 now. You're I, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. <sighs> I, we can't have Jonathan running away with the leaderboard here. I know. All right. Here, here we go. Agua Buenas. Agua Buenas? Yes. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to stick with fake. There's a real team. Lena, they're in Zonasur of the Lena Fa, that third division. I, I figured. Okay, so here's the, we here's thought, the other we question. We thought Jonathan was going to be the contestant. So I was really trying to like be good with this because uh-huh. that, that motherfucker, he keeps putting up good scores. And I'm sorry he got caught in the crossfire here, bud. Yeah. Damn, they're just, just catching strays. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Number five Tsunami Azul. Tsunami Azul. Yeah. I'm just going to go fake. That's a real team. How is that a real team? Does that really exist? They got, That's a professional yes. team. Tsunami is their third division. And they're not saying professional. It could be am, amateur, like third division in Costa Rica. We're talking. They're in the pyramid. Oh my God. Yeah. Tsunami Azul. As you can tell, it's blue, <laughs> blue tsunami. Jesus. All right. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Last one I got. La Francia. Fake. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I had to, I had There's to. As a real team. There's a real team. I don't you know, know where you find these teams. Two. They're the third division. These are all real, except for the one that was fake that you thought was real. I don't like this game anymore. <laughs> now, did you just go 0 for 6? No, Jonathan went 0 for 6 because oh he's not God. here. 
Yeah. Donald. We're putting this on his name. Put that on, put that on him. <laughs> See, I no, did every, that so he didn't I, have to go through that. Everyone who is listening to this, just know <laughs> that we were trying to get, we were trying to fuck up Slate here. And now Donald and I caught got, the strays. Caught I, I strays. took the strays for him. Like we're not we're not running this we're not doing this again. This actually Donald actually put up the first uh, goose egg goose egg in real team or fake team. We've got history on the World of Cocktail podcast. Donald, hey, how do you feel? Hey, I'd like to you know take this episode, put it in the Cocktail Hall of Fame. That's what happens when you make history, right? Like, yeah. Like I, I guess they got to take like take your uh, take your microphone. Like you know, it's like like you pitched the perfect game. Yeah. yeah. They're gonna have a little plaque, well, in two languages, <laughs> saying this is the very phone Donald used when he went over on the real team yeah. or fake team segment of the World of Concaf podcast. Everyone's gonna hey, when someone like, gets their what the fuck is the World of Concaf podcast? When someone gets their 500th home run, the ball or, or something you know goes into it, but both names are listed, both the guy who hit the 500 and the guy who pitched it. You know, yeah. Listen, we both we both made history tonight, man. Uh, you can't see this on the. You can't see this because obviously this is a podcast. But I'm just, I'm just shaking my head. I, you shaking your head. You're the one to pick these. Uh, you're the one that couldn't nail one of them. Like the obvious hey, one. To be fair, like, to be to to be on. fair, I was not supposed to do it until like 30 minutes before we recorded. Exactly. You're going in fresh. I know you didn't cheat. That's good. But I didn't cheat. But I was going to be able to at least like try and channel my inner tsunami azul apparently <laughs> i mean you have to use the rule of Concacaf, where it's like this is so fucking dumb it's probably real yeah but some of those were not you know spanish yeah la, la francia you talked about how there's like a very french heavy element to Costa Rica more so than other countries Gotta make then it- i figured you were just gonna you were you were tripping me up but again you were trying to trip up Jonathan. I just caught the strays. I'll catch the strays for him. I'll take that. Okay. That's fine. We'll get him. We'll get him next time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I think we've gone long enough on this one. Um, Donald, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Find me on Twitter and Instagram at DW, And you can find all my work uh, at Stars and Stripes FC as well, um, where I write and lead another podcast. So uh, go there for American uh american news stay here for the Concacast. yeah and make sure you're following us at podcast pod cut on your facebook your twitter your instagram lots and lots coming up it is you know how we talk about it's like oh it's a world cup year you don't get hype is a Concacaf nations league year is a Concacaf nations league month coming up and we are going to be all over the most important competition in global sport. Um, you damn right. So make also subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. We really appreciate your support. I'm actually going to be posting along with this episode, uh, some postcards from the pod on the uh, Patreon, some pictures and things and some memories from my trip to Costa Rica uh, back in March. So that's exclusive for people who give us money to do this podcast. Uh, as a thank you. You don't pay us, you get nothing. So mm. <laughs> um, appreciate you guys listening in. Uh, we'll wrap it up here and uh, we'll see you next time.